0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Friday, July the 21st, 2023, the end of a week. A week, at least on Keynote, very much dominated by Oppenheimer, the movie, and the man. We did a show uh, earlier this week with the very distinguished contemporary American historian Evan Thomas. He has a new book out, Road to Surrender, um, about the American decision in many ways to drop nuclear weapons on uh, Japan. Um, Evan Thomas believes, I think, that it was the right thing to do, both from the point of view of saving the lives of American troops uh, and of Japanese civilians. Uh, the moral ambiguity that he talks about in his mind, I think, um, is fairly self-evident and perhaps not even justified. Uh, meanwhile, we did, a call, uh, we did a show also, uh, which we called Our Oppenheimer Moment with Greg Mitchell. He's a film critic and an uh, anti-nuclear activist. He had a popular book out a couple of years ago, the Beginning or, or the End How Hollywood and America Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. It's a book in part uh, as a critique of a 1947 movie, The Beginning or the End, a Hollywood documentary about the war that glossed over all the moral implications of dropping a nuclear weapon, two nuclear weapons on Japan. Uh, And, of course, this week, yesterday, Oppenheimer came out. I saw it, uh, like many of you, uh, the cinema, my local cinema, the Alamo uh, in the Mission District of San Francisco was packed at five in the afternoon. Uh, It's selling out everywhere. Uh, And I thought we would have a show specifically on the movie with one of my favorite movie critics, movie writers, Olivia Ruttigliano. She is the... um, uh, the senior film writer. I'm not sure if there's a junior film writer, but she's the senior film writer at Lit Hub, where this show uh, is broadcast, distributed. Olivia, you saw the movie yesterday?
1: Yes, I did.
0: So let's get into it. First thought?
1: I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was a propulsive engaging film that managed to combine the conventions of the biopic with a more nolan-esque simmering psychological thriller even though we know the ending we know what happens or we can wikipedia the life of j robert Oppenheimer and find out if we don't know it still took us through moment by moment through this fascinating period in history um in such a way that um was riveting and electric and a little bit terrifying existentially and literally
0: was it a movie do you think olivia about oppenheimer or the decision to drop nuclear weapons on japan or both or I was- uh, and sorry to add um or, or a film about mccarthyism or suspicion and paranoia in america against communists
1: i think it is about a very specific moment in history A time in the 20th century where the fate of the world could be determined by a single um, so-called exemplary man or several exemplary men, sort of all white men, all well-educated, all in prestigious positions um, at universities and in government. I think it's a film about how in this moment in the 20th century, when the current of McCarthyism is beginning to swell and of course continues to grow. And Hitler is in Germany, um, just absolutely destroying Europe, just taking what he wants. Um, I think it's an interesting movie that places those two large scale, uh, nearly catastrophic in different ways, phenomena, um, in direct conversation with their creators, and I think it does the same with Oppenheimer. It's about the discovery of the technology, the the mathematical formulas that created the atom bomb, but it's also about how one man created this entire mushroom cloud, shall we say, of um, destruction and disorder i think mccarthy is a similar figure and i think hitler is a similar figure Um, i think mccarthy gets more attention as a figure although he's not present in the movie neither is hitler i think both of those men are sort of ghosts with respect to their shall we say ideas but oppenheimer is um equally given as much weight in the film as his idea
0: so you think there's a a, a, if you like a a gendered politics to the movie it's interesting that there are two prominent women in the film, too. Uh, perhaps you might say something about them. I, I didn't know that, actually. I have to admit, I didn't know much about them before the movie. But they're strongly represented, and they play important roles in the narrative.
1: Well, I don't think the film is so much gendered as sort of accurate in its representation of what the 1930s and 40s and 50s were like in American history and academia, uh, in spe- uh, specifically. Um, there's a really wonderful moment in the movie where... Um, when oppenheimer has moved all of the scientists he's recruited to the los alamos um fake town in new mexico where or it's a real town but then a fake town um where um the bomb building the manhattan project will take place uh, principally um and all of the wives of the scientists who are there are being recruited as secretaries to keep the 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 base the the town running and one of them uh goes up to Oppenheimer and says, they've asked me if I know how to type. Uh, And he's like, do you? And she's like, yeah, that must have not been on the curriculum at the graduate chemistry course I took at Harvard. (laughs) And then Oppenheimer's like, let's put this woman on the chemistry team. Um, I think that's a fascinating moment that shows that um, just what this moment is like in terms of um, this moment in history is like in terms of the reality of of gender Um. professional and economic disparity. Um, But there are two really fascinating, prominent women in the film. Um, They are um, Kitty um, Oppenheimer, who was played by Emily Blunt, who is Oppenheimer's wife. Um, And then also Florence... We might call it
0: long-suffering wife. She doesn't
1: seem... I think that's accurate, (laughs) yeah.
0: She doesn't seem to have had a lot of fun in her life. uh, On lots of fronts. No,
1: absolutely not. Um, And then equally long-suffering... In terms of magnitude, sadly not in terms of length because her life ended very short um, while she was very young, Um, Florence Pugh plays um, uh, Oppenheimer's um, girlfriend and then mistress, um, Jean Tatlock, who was a Freudian um, uh, scholar and um, psychiatrist.
0: And communist. Well, certainly leftist, communist. communist, (laughs) Radical 1930s, independent woman, sexually independent, intellectually independent. It was interesting, actually, Olivia, I saw the movie with my wife, Hmm. and afterwards she commented that she thought that uh, Oppenheimer was presented as a little bit of a womanizer. He had those two girlfriends. I mean, the wife, the crazy, beautiful, independent girlfriend, uh, and then one or two other female friend shall we say do you think that's true was was Oppenheimer presented as this rather um rather if not certainly not romantic I guess what one might think of as an unromantic womanizer
1: unromantic womanizer is an interesting description I think it's interesting how the movie calls him a womanizer he's literally referred to as a womanizer but we don't see many scenes of him flirting we see um a brief scene of him flirting with with Jean. we see a brief scene of him flirting with Kitty, and we also see um, aspects of their later relationships, um, especially intimate ones. But we don't see a sort of prolonged courtship um, or pursuit. We also hear later on that he's had an affair with another woman but we only see them sort of speaking together intimately at parties we don't there's no indication beyond that that there's a relationship um so i thought it was interesting that the film did conclusively label him through dialogue a womanizer when without that we might not have paid attention to that aspect as much i think the film is mostly about oppenheimer's relationship with his ideas and his demons and the women in the film sort of our ideas and demons to him as well. Um, I think the, the film is very much from his perspective. And while Kitty has a really amazing moment in um, a certain um, inquiry uh, <laughs> later in the film, she is put through a lot um, and we don't get to see too many things from her side of the story. We also don't get to see too many things of Jean. And when we're dealing with a real historical figure who is... Um, Depressed and who is dealing with um, suicidal ideation and eventually does kill herself. I think reducing that character to those traits can be problematic and and harmful. So I think that all of Oppenheimer's relationships with women could have been fleshed out more in ways that were more progressive or even more true to life. But I do think it's interesting how the film doesn't let us forget that he has these long relationships with women, even though the myth that the movie traffics in is his tortured genius and his relationship to the building of the bomb. The film doesn't ignore, ultimately, even though it does treat rather subtly um, that he has had a string of relationships with women.
0: Yeah, and the wife um, does come through in the end. I mean, she confronts her husband's accusers Uh, very aggressively and very much in contrast to him. Although I guess uh, as a wife, she's doing it, uh, which perhaps reflected the time. Um, The New York Times, which always seems to have its finger on our pulse, for better or worse, suggested that um, uh, about the movie, a man for our time. Um, and, And I think that's something you're also suggesting. The one thing that was missing, I thought, was he was a man for our time in the sense that we seem increasingly concerned with people's backgrounds and their privilege. And he he was um, like you, he grew up in New Way, lived in New York, but he, he was from an incredibly wealthy, privileged background. I I, I wonder whether I was curious why nolan left that out do you think he he chose to la- leave it out or it just ended up on the, the cutting room floor in the movie
1: well the film is three hours so and while i love a long movie i mean i'm happy to go as they say on the the george lucas talk show i'm happy to go for an irishman plus like let's go
0: longer than three it's three hours and 20 minutes yeah no um, i'm not saying it should have been longer <laughs> i mean that's no, no, not no. my point i thought it was a bit long too but 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 it didn't it, the, the movie didn't address his privilege i mean it sort of implied oh, I'm it but it didn't kidding. touch on it
1: I was just kidding in terms of um, what seemed necessary to Nolan's ultimate vision. If we get a three hour movie, what is he prioritizing? Um, But I I think you're right that there's very little that's um, given to us about his background beyond the um, sort of origins of his career as a university in, uh, at a university in, in Europe, uh, several universities in Europe, perhaps. The first real introduction we get to Oppenheimer as a person is as a, as a very troubled student who nearly murders someone um i think nolan thinks that's more important to us understanding oppenheimer as a man than the privileged situations that made him it's that there's this brief moment of psychosis that he or not psychosis but revenge that he then tempers for the rest of the movie i think his meekness even at the end when he sort of submits to an inquiry that's potentially humiliating for him is indicative of the fact that he is moving away from the mortal implications of his existence, his feelings, his work. Um, And he is concentrating on, on theory and abstract concepts like memory and legacy and, and, he is moving further and further and further away from the material world and the material implications of his work. And I think if the movie had started acknowledging his privilege, I think it would not have been irrelevant, considering this is the arc of the movie, that he starts in a place that's very mortal, that's very literal, um, and he grows increasingly um, detached from those forces um i do think though that nolan was more interested in the moments that um led up to the creation of the bomb and i think he has discounted perhaps that nolan um that that oppenheimer's privilege um would have added to that story i think he thinks more about oppenheimer's mind than oppenheimer's money and perhaps like someone like nikola tesla who you know was a ditch digger um, would have found his way to greatness with or without the money. Perhaps that was that, that seems to be what Nolan is suggesting off the top of my head. I only saw it yesterday.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you, you choose to use the word meekness with Oppenheimer coming back to this idea of the times that he's, that Oppenheimer himself is a man for our time. We've done many shows on, shall we say, the, the crisis of masculinity in the 2020s. Do you think that we we that Nolan sort of has transformed Oppenheimer into a shall we say I'm borrowing your 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 word a, a rather meek Brooklynite for the 2020s <laughs> a man without a great deal of confidence certainly a great deal of ability who doesn't really have a lot of faith in himself um, and, and seems to sort of shrink as his historical role grows he as a man shrinks he, he speaks so quietly half the time i couldn't even understand what he was saying
1: i don't think it's that he's shrinking i think it's that he's becoming more ghostly the film starts yeah. with him being a very emotional very arrogant dark-haired you know fiery young man and the film progresses with him growing increasingly gaunt and thin and his large um haunting blue eyes almost bulging out of his face his hair is growing silver his cheekbones are more pronounced he grows quieter i think it's that as his reputation is growing and he is becoming a very powerful cultural force that he is becoming something of a ghost he is becoming something rather ethereal a haunted figure um made up of particles and (laughs) Less of the um, existential, shall we say, um, human who is sort of bound to relationships to others or, or bound to this mortal coil in a way. I think he's a he's a figure who exists increasingly in the movie as um, an idea rather than a person.
0: Yeah, there's, uh, we might call him Pr- Promethean. Uh, Promethean. Um, he's haunted, he's ghostly, and of course... The real action, the whole point of the film, we don't see, which is the destruction of um, of two Japanese cities. We don't see death. No. But I think you're absolutely right to suggest that he's haunted, that he himself is a ghost as a consequence of all the destruction which mm-hmm. his work at, uh, in Los Alamos uh, and the Manhattan Project produced. There's been some debate, uh, Olivia, about whether or not Nolan should have uh should have shown the at least the dropping of the bomb and and he leaves it to our imagination what what are your thoughts on that should he have included some footage from hiroshima
1: this is a this is a very important question i'm not exactly sure i think it would have been a different movie regardless there are movies like the great, you know, Hiroshima, Mon Moore from... Um,
0: Rene, yeah, very good film. Yeah,
1: um, that are very much about the absolute ravagement, the horrifying, heartbreaking, unfair destruction of cities and lives, livelihoods and a country, and... I don't think Oppenheimer takes up those same questions. I think it's not that the destruction in Hiroshima and Nagasaki are irrelevant to Oppenheimer. Of course, they're literally the end result of his work. And they're also referenced later in the film as Oppenheimer grows more upset and haunted by what he has wrought. When he has, as he has said, become death, destroyer of worlds. I think there's a way in which showing the destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki could have been some sort of, not torture porn, but could have been exploitative. This is not a film that concerns itself too much with the destruction wrought onto the lives of ordinary people. It's very much about the man behind the bomb. And I wonder if looking at even for a moment, at the people whose lives were ended and ruined. And the I mean, just in ways that we can't even understand, I wonder if that would be some sort of like sick wish, you know, um, fulfillment of the view, like, oh, let's see what happened. And and I think the film is um, careful not to reward the viewer with images of destruction. At the same time, I think it is extremely important to remember what actually happened. Not in, not only because we're in this Barbenheimer moment where the Barbie Oppenheimer double, double feature has yielded memes and like the phrase, I am become death, destroyer of worlds in the Barbie font on t-shirts. But I think it's very easy to forget that hundreds of thousands of people died and got cancer and whose lives were destroyed, not even just in Japan, but also in the United States from nuclear testing. Um, and there were... Um, um people in new mexico um who are non-white people mexican and indigenous people who got cancer as as a result of nuclear testing especially so i think the film would have done well to acknowledge that uh, two things one that so many people's lives were absolutely ruined but also that non-white non-privileged people who may have been deemed less um or more expendable um culturally not necessarily by oppenheimer but by the sort of white male power structures that were in place um did have their lives ended i think at the same time if if oppenheimer had encountered a maimed a photograph of of horrifically maimed or dead people i think it would have served his narrative more than theirs. And so I would have cautioned against using the real life tragic stories and the very important historical reality of the bomb in a way to augment the telling of Oppenheimer's story. But I do think that if Nolan were interested in telling a story about the actual um, reality of the bomb for the Japanese people and also for the people in New Mexico or elsewhere whose um, lives have been ruined by nuclear experimentation and testing. Um, That would be great. A nice chaser to Oppenheimer would probably be How to Blow Up a Pipeline, the thriller film that came out. Yeah, that
0: was a good film. Um, Although I think it attracts a very different kind of audience. The New York Times also ran a a (laughs) Who's Who in Oppenheimer, Guide to the Real People and Events. One of the more memorable aspects of the film was when uh, in the movie itself and perhaps in real life when oppenheimer met harry truman mm-hmm. what did you think of that moment and and what did you think of the representation of some of the other real life people from albert einstein to general grove to of course harry truman
1: the harry truman representation was particularly salient to me when i was in high school you know we learned about the various white male American presidents who were responsible for unbelievable destruction, not only to American lives, but also to the lives of people abroad like Johnson, um, Lyndon Baines Johnson and, and Vietnam, and also Harry Truman with respect to the dropping of the bombs on Harry And of
0: course JFK who oddly yes. enough pops up.
1: Yes. Yes. I think, Um, but I think the film is very much about, um, is is so much about Oppenheimer that when all of a sudden we get Truman's very unremorseful, very callous perspective, it's sort of jarring if you've sort of been in not indoctrinated, but if you've learned this narrative about the fact that, like, oh, it was really hard for Truman to decide whether or not to drop the bomb. And the film comes down in the conclusion that that I I think that even if he had been remorseful, it wouldn't have made one iota of difference. And so it allows, um Truman to become um, an avatar of sort of everything that's wrong with the Manhattan Project and the dropping of the bomb, sort of distilled into a single person. And it sort of makes Oppenheimer a little less culpable. I mean, literally, Truman is like, no, I dropped the bomb. You did. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's these, these Me. men competing about who's going to be more guilty about the drop.
1: Um, and in a way, I think the film—that's sort of the way the film like uh, transfers the blame away from Oppenheimer, and it concentrates more on Oppenheimer as this like weird, liminal, increasingly ghostly, death-oriented, dying star of a person. Um, yeah, without having to worry about the moral complications, which I think is like potentially dangerous and loaded. But I also think it's kind of um, important to show how in the American. Um, the, the preservation of American and American ideals, um, uh, an American leader would have been relatively remorseless about destroying hundreds of thousands of lives of people in an Asian country. Um, notably, you know, the Oppenheimer pushes for the use of the bomb um, on the... Um, Japanese continent, even after it was originally developed with thoughts that it Yeah,
0: I'm guessing that the Truman fans uh, might suggest that Truman was dealt with unfairly. He had no idea of even the the Manhattan Project's uh, existence until he came to power, and he inherited the whole thing, so uh, blood may have been on his hands, but he had no choice on it. Um, uh, Olivia... Uh, Much has been made of Nolan's remarks that the movie is a warning about our contemporary tech fixation with AI. Lots of pieces from Wired, the FT, uh, the Guardian about whether or not he's using it as a warning. He talks about strong parallels. It's odd, as you say, um, as he becomes paler and paler more and more haunted and ghostly in the film it's the technology that quite literally catches fire it dominates the screen and it dominates the world Um, so Oppenheimer becomes I guess a symbol of the increasingly footnoted nature of human beings and humanity Uh, the same seems to be quite literally true today with AI and artificial intelligence and our transformation into a footnote in history do you think the movie did a a a good job there i mean it's hard to know whether or not nolan really wanted to bring up the ai issue but is technology the real star or the anti-hero in this movie
1: it's an interesting question i don't think the movie has much to say about ai specifically because the um the, the, the politics about AI, or not even the politics, the dynamics of AI are very different uh, than the analog technology of bomb dropping in 1945. Um, the AI question involves um, the way corporations are using this anti-human technology to replace humans in a way that disenfranchises workers and steals writers' ideas and artists' styles and undermines The human element of art and production. I think Oppenheimer isn't about the human element of art and production in the same way. I think it's about um, a man who did a bunch of mathematical calculations that led to the recruitment of other men who did mathematical calculations and a few women who did mathematical calculations that caused the U.S. military to drop a bomb on a on a whole civilization um i think those so i think those are very different i think the best movie made recently about ai that is allegorical is top gun maverick i mean (laughs) no sir not today like we're not gonna let drones uh you know pilot planes we're not gonna let um cgi dominate uh practical effects in movies i think is a more interesting parallel not that i'm advocating for one movie that um <laughs>
0: promotes the military
1: industrial complex over right. another
0: but it's, uh, it's, of- it, it, it's one of the the striking things is that the, the the figure in the movie who doesn't have broad shoulders very sloping shoulders in fact but who carries the weight of humanity the one truly human figure in the film is Albert Einstein. We did a, a movie, uh, we did a show about him. Someone wrote a book called The Einstein Effect. Do you think Einstein is represented in, in almost like a, a absurdly uh, metaphorical way? I mean, he doesn't really seem human. He just seems to be every man represented. I mean, he's beautifully acted, but I thought there was something odd about his appearance in the film.
1: I think the inclusion of Einstein in the film is interesting. Because of course Einstein is the most famous scientist, probably of all time. If I assume that if we asked people on the street who is the most famous scientist, they would say Einstein and not J. Robert Oppenheimer. So Einstein is a sort of way-in, I think, for a lot of audiences who might not be as familiar with the politics or the the, the political and um, scientific players of the Manhattan Project or the like 1945 scientific community. I mean, like it was great to see like Niels Bohr, but there are a lot of names that I, you know. Um, And certainly, I'm sure a lot of moviegoers wouldn't have on the tip of their tongues. So I think Einstein, because we associate Einstein so closely with the Manhattan Project, and yet he had far less to do with it than virtually any of the scientists represented in the film, provides a way in to um, understand the dynamics of this community and also the um implications of science in the larger world i don't know much about einstein as a person but i thought tom conti's portrayal of him was excellent but as you say yes he is a metaphorical figure he is a figure um who ultimately says the film's thesis which is of course about the the dangers of um playing with nuclear materials or putting nuclear materials in the hands of the U.S. military. And it
0: was his great breakthrough, of course, and he had no idea, I guess, when he, he right. made it. Uh, he's presented, on the one hand, of course, as the world's most famous scientist, but as a post-scientist.
1: Right. Yes, he's um he's an esteemed elder. I mean, he's the closest thing we have to a god in
0: this. Yeah, place. exactly. I was going to say the dead. same thing.
1: Right? I mean, if Oppenheimer is is Prometheus or Hades or you know the devil i don't know the film doesn't have much to say about catholicism but if he's some sort of negative figure in the universal um ideological construction in this movie um then he is einstein's opposite he is death and einstein is not einstein is some sort of respected scientific elder who might as well be a god in this community um i think um that he gets the sort of Mysterious thread that propels a big question in the film is especially satisfying because, um, when a character we don't know about or don't care about, like if Alden Eichenreich, who plays like an unnamed uh governmental official, like cabinet uh um associate, um, gets the last word of the movie, I think it's less. Uh, not last word of the movie, but the last big scene in the movie. I think that's a lot less effective than if someone we've seen photos of sticking his tongue out, you know, on the sidewalk um, at university poster sales. I think it's a lot less important than if some a figure like that um, delivers the big message. So I think that's why Einstein is so um, abstractly godlike. Um, I think he is supposed to... This this characterization of him, the trafficking that Nolan does in Einstein's fame and like um, eternal fame and reputation is intended to impart the big message of the film, which is that um, it's very, very, very bad now that we have the ability to destroy the world.
0: So coming back to the Mitchell uh, book, the beginning or the end, the, the, the book about the 1947 film, How All Hollywood and America Learned to stop Worrying and love the Bomb. Might the subtitle to the Oppenheimer movie be How Hollywood and America Learned to Start Worrying and Hate the Bomb?
1: It's an interesting question. Um. I don't know if Hollywood hates the bomb. Hollywood has uh, has this is a Hollywood
0: film, isn't it? I mean, it's a big budget, big star film shown all over the world, made by Hollywood's most uh, sort of illustrious, marketable director, Christopher Nolan, who's written, who's you know done all these other mainstream films, Dunkirk, and all these superhero films. But
1: the title of the Stanley Kubrick film how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb that that second subtitle is really important because in that movie, men actually sort of have like orgasmic sex with bombs, like slim Pickens rides the bomb to its eventual explosion. There's some sort of like weird masculine euphoria coded in the bombings in that movie. And I think Oppenheimer is very interesting because although the movie is anti-nuclear, Christopher Nolan also set off a giant bomb. It is not a CGI bomb, I believe. Um, I was reading that he received permission to set up some sort of practical effect that could simulate explosion.
0: Wow, probably, I didn't know that.
1: well I mean, okay, I, I I should verify this, but I was reading um, so, uh, this a while ago um, that the CG, you know, the CGI in the movie is not. Um, does not complete the representation of the bomb that there is some sort of real fiery explosion and hollywood is movies are full of explosions i mean from michael bay to to now this film i mean i don't think hollywood hates bombs i think hollywood is fascinated with with bombs and i think people have most people in the 20th century accessed the concept of bombs through the footage of those mushroom clouds. Um, so I think Hollywood has an eerie fascination. Um, I think the messaging of Oppenheimer is ultimately about how nuclear weapons are bad. But I do think the scene where all of the scientists see the bomb go off in the desert at a distance through their special protective glasses and lenses and Benny Safdie has sunscreen on so that the blast won't you know destroy his skin. And I think there's a scene of... Theatricality and reverence and excitement, and the culmination um, of abstract, very abstract um, scientific and mathematical theories. And when you watch that manifest, as an explosion I think that is very exciting for the scientists in this scene I think it's very exciting for the movie and I think it's very exciting for the filmmakers especially because the camera moves around the orange you know um blossoming mushroom cloud um slowly and there are lots of golden embers like in the mm. sky. In
0: other words, what you're saying is that's the sex in the film. And in contrast with the actual sex in the film, which was sort of miserable in a Freudian way, I think you'd be right. Maybe maybe people shouldn't take their kids too much pornography when it comes to violence. Finally, Olivia, uh, what does this film tell us about the current state of Hollywood? You mentioned um, we're living in this weird summer where the two dominant films are barbie and oppenheimer politico ran a piece saying w- which uh, they are senators which movie they're seeing first um it seems in an odd way even if this film's trying to be very 2020s is, is a return to very traditional hollywood values big budget movies big stars um uh as i said uh nolan's done dunkirk and uh, before our film there was an ad for napoleon a a film Mm -hmm. by ridley scott another old time even much older than um than uh, nolan but another classic hollywood director um so we're back to big biopics is that really what hollywood's all about these days
1: know i don't know if biopics ever really went away but i do think there's a certain kind of like studio system era giant splashy war movie epic movie that's coming out we have like a new cleopatra movie with gal gadot that like incorrectly uses the greek alphabet on the poster to spell cleopatra um i think that oppenheimer is absolutely an encapsulation of a certain kind of like late nouveau golden age hollywood filmmaking that like we don't really see to an extent anymore i mean we're not getting like ben-hur i think he he makes ben-hur kind of movies um in every sense um i do think that oppenheimer is a very excellent movie it's it's extremely well done and very
0: excellent wow
1: very excellent very very excellent i i will throw as many modifiers in front of excellent as as need i mean it's it's a fascinating and very well done film um it comes with implications and those implications need to be teased out and analyzed. And it's not a movie that you should see and never think about again. It's it's very important to keep thinking about what was included and not included and how things were represented and not. But as a film, as, a, as an engine of narrative and tone and theme, um, it is seamless and fascinating. Um, but I also think We are in an era of um, lots of interesting, weird, experimental types of storytelling, like Barbie, which is not some sort of um, like weird mass market airhead movie. It's one of the weirdest, most fascinating thought experiments I've ever seen on screen. Um, And if Hollywood is giving us the return of the studio system and large, splashy, epics even if they are about white men and should definitely be more about um or proportionately um hollywood should be making big splashy epics about non-white men too but if, if we're getting like a certain level of committed practical filmmaking that produces excellent movies and we're also getting weird interesting indie movies that allow women and historically marginalized filmmakers to have bigger budgets and bigger attention and to um, make films about their experiences or their thoughts or films that interrogate the status quo. I think that's great. And I think both should be both should exist um, at the same time. I'm not knocking Marvel movies, but I would really love to see more movies like both Barbie and Oppenheimer in the box office.
0: I have to admit, I don't agree with you. I don't think it was a very, very excellent film. I would give it I thought it was way too long. It was patchy. There were some good moments. The second half was much better than the first, but I found it, I have to admit, rather annoying. Oh, I um, the first act was better. So what would, what, I would give it, I'd give the first half probably one or two stars. The second half, maybe four stars. What would you give it overall?
1: I don't know. How many stars are we talking here?
0: Well, like, you always get five stars, <laughs> Olivia.
1: Five? Uh, maybe Four.